I think it was fake. Plus, Short King Spring officially launches on the show with Radio Voice of the Clippers, No Eagle. This is Round Ball Roundup on utahjazz.com. I'm J.P. Chunga on the Utah Jazz Podcast Network, presented by First Colony Mortgage, official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz, and MLS number 3112, Equal Housing Lender. There's one thing last night that everybody was talking about. You know, you saw the tweets back and forth. It was live TV at its finest, and it was the biggest game of the season. Jazz Mavericks. Yes, this was ready for a brawl. This was meeting four of the season. It was built up. It had playoff implications. The team built it up for themselves. Donovan talking after loss Friday. I was saying it. Last time these two teams played, I need to see them play again because I didn't know how a a potential first-round series would shake out between them. The next game would be the one where I would say, okay, this would be the team that has the edge. And for me, it was a fake. Because the sting was taken out of it with Rudy Gobert being out. And he expects to be back. But him not being there for this playoff potential matchup, it's not the same team that they would see in a couple weeks. So when I got that news Sunday, it dug at me that Oh, we're losing something in this game. But I could get excited for NBA basketball, whether it's February or March. doesn't matter. And that was still a pretty interesting game. Like, beyond not having Rudy, not having Hassan, not having Boyan Bogdanovich again, there were some interesting things. But it, that's not going to be the team that comes to the playoffs. As far as a postseason data point, yesterday was fake. wasn't anything. And it was supposed to be the rubber match. Jazz having the season series 2-1 up. It gets evened. And it's veering closer and closer to that first round matchup where they lost the leverage to host in it. They lost the opportunity to have a little bit of distance because they didn't have their full complete team. And it goes back to the point that I made a couple weeks ago. When healthy, this team's very good. It's so even between these two teams. Remember that first one out of the All-Star break? Back and forth. Rudy has to get switched out to Luka. He stands the challenge. It sets up for round two. Back in Dallas. Luka's taking that challenge. And he starts scoring more. And he gets it done for his team. So we needed round three. And I don't count really the first game. That December 25th one. Because Luka wasn't there. And Chris Stapps Porzingis was on the floor. So, again, not the same teams that would meet when it comes to a postseason. But Sunday goes into that category, where you can't really use it to project how this team might be. They didn't have a center on the roster. Rudy Gay, Mancho Hernan Gomez, Eric Paschal, those are your bigs. None of them centers. That's why they had to go out and sign Greg Monroe, because he's an NBA-caliber center. He's been on a couple teams. Already this year, this year he's been on a couple teams. He had a pretty good outing, I believe it was against, it was against the Celtics, because it was one of his former teams. He did it for the Timberwolves. That's who it was. I listened to the post-game interview with him and how satisfied he was that he was able to do it against his former team. I'm not sure if he saw them a couple more times with the different 
uniforms that he had to wear. But now he's on the Jazz, and he's an NBA player. Much to what we're going to be talking about a little later, where we are talking about short kings in the NBA. Just realize how high the level of play is for all these NBA players. Greg Monroe, even if he's bouncing in and out of the league, he is super talented. And as you saw in January, this really relies on having a big in their roster. Defensively, offensively, with the rim rolling. Last night, the thing that I kind of keyed in on, and of course I keyed in on it because this is the biggest Trent Forrest fan podcast. Trent Forrest rolling to the rim. They were using him as a nominal roller in the game, and he was able to show that skill. You have to add value if you're not a dead-eye shooter, and Trent's no dead-eye. So him rolling, he got offensive rebounds in that first quarter. That was fascinating to see the way that he played. It goes back to him being on the show in Summer League, being around the team in that stretch, and they said this guy's competent, this guy gets it. He is doing all the necessary components to get himself to NBA contributor status. While he's not going to be 30 minutes a game in the playoffs, may not be 20, but when he's out there, you're going to live with those minutes and you're going to survive. It's, it's not going to be the treading water sort of scenario with him when he's out there because he's so smart. He's a really talented player. I can't emphasize that enough, how impressed I was with seeing him last night. But of course, I mean, clock strikes 12. You know, this is midnight, Cinderella. Find your shoe. And much like March Madness, lower teams, as the clock keeps winding, runs out on them. And they lose the maps because Luka takes over, his teammates hit shots, they win. Now, in the playoff series, I still stand by what I said last week, which his teammates can also have those off nights. They had it Friday against the Timberwolves when they could only hit five shots. This one, they hit way more. If Reggie Bullock's hitting seven threes, that's going to be a very difficult one to survive. Luka getting him so many wide-open shots. So big picture for the Jazz. They lose the footing. They lose the advantage that they had on this team. Could have taken that full control over them, they can still get back. I mean, my favorite website's Tankathon. I told that to you last time out. Mavs, they've got seven left. It's the Bucks and it's the Cavs. Jazz have the same amount. they got the Suns, Grizz, Warriors, Lakers, who have been very difficult for this team and will not be talked about on this podcast. But that's where they sit. They lose that grip, that vice grip that they had over Dallas, they're in the five. If this is the first round series, I truly do not know how it goes. When healthy, mind you. When healthy, I don't know how it goes. If they have all their compliments, they're really good. And that's what it comes down to in the playoffs. You see how Robert Williams going down for the Celtics, that's going to impact them tremendously. Last week, watching him, Marcus Smart muck things up for Boston against Utah, they looked so good. That's why they jumped all the way to first in the East. They were awesome. It's a shame that Robert Williams is going to get snake-bitten by injuries once more. He's going to miss some time. They were getting their groove. But that's what the playoffs is all about. 
how healthy you are. Tomorrow, Paul George, he's playing five-on-five practice, regular basketball, according to Ty Lue. And if you think that guy can't help in a play-in scenario, L.A.'s going to be a tough out. They play hard. And Saturday, when the Jazz see the Golden State Warriors, no Steph, they hope to have him in the postseason, but they're different. They aren't championship contenders without their former MVP. So that's the hope. The hope is that health doesn't rob this group once again as they prepare for another playoff run. And one that would honestly be their first non-health scare rounds. Bubble, it was Boyan. He was out. Last season, it was Mike Conley and Donovan Mitchell compromised. And this year, we'll see. Because I don't know how much motivation there might be with a couple teams locked into their positions. They're going to play Phoenix. They're going to play Memphis. But are they going to be motivated to keep playing their guys 30 minutes a night? Might reel back and be content with their seeding. The bright spot of the playoff standings right now, that neighborhood that the Jazz are in, that Warriors, Mavs, Nuggets, everybody's playing pretty similarly right now. Last 10 games, Golden State 5-5. Five and five. Same for the Nuggets. Dallas 6-4. and four. Jazz have been 4-6 and six over the last 10. So it's all fairly similar in the way that they're playing. Okay, before I get to Noah, I wanted to touch on something because rumors happen, and I know you don't come here for, oh, better hear JP's take on the latest rumor, but I saw Mark Stein in the frame last night, and I did a podcast Friday on the Note podcast feed. Check it out. Same place you got this. Just search The Note, Utah Jazz. Spoke to Jay Billis, spoke to Johnny Dawkins, UCF head coach, couple former Dukies, his teammates when he was at Duke, about Quinn Snyder, Coach K, Coach K's legacy as he continues to another Final Four. Shout out to Duke. I know they're very hateable, and that's just the deal when it comes to being the Blue Devils. A lot of people love you, a lot of people hate you, but he makes it to another Final Four, and he's a college basketball fan. Uh, that's good for the podcast. But speaking to Jay, holds Quinn in the highest regard. I've had him on this podcast as well. He's felt that way for a long time. And with the Stein rumors out there, the takeaway for me is that the league holds him in the highest regard. Something that his peers already hold him to, his friends, people who see the game know. And I feel that way about Jay. I've known him since dating back to college. His basketball mind is right up there with anybody's. There's a reason why he's on the number one team when it comes to college basketball. It's due to him seeing the game at all levels. He's at Nike Hoop Summit. He's seen AAU players. He's seen high school guys. He's seen it clearly at the college level and at the NBA. He could be a general manager if he wanted to. But that's how high I hold him in regard when it comes to basketball. So he sees Quinn, and he sees him as a top X's and O's guy. That says something. And that is just recognition of the league seeing him as a good coach. And he dressed in the Salt Lake Tribune, which, if you know the delicate situations around coaches, it rubs people the wrong way if you're commenting on jobs that aren't open. 
Phil Jackson getting interviewed by the Knicks. Read that in Blood on the Garden. That rubbed people the wrong way. It's not cool to be vying for somebody's job if they already have it. So, Quinn in the Salt Lake Tribune, you can read that. I thought I was going to have enough time to talk about Taylor Rooks in her interview with Rudy, but I guess I'll save it for the next podcast. This one's just too loaded. I spoke to No Eagle, and I brought up pressure with him, if only because, look at this team. This team is under so much pressure. The Jazz, this group, if they're finally healthy, the expectation with them is pretty high, and they hold themselves to high expectations. Listen to the Taylor Rooks interview. Rudy holds himself to high expectations. But from that comes pressure. The pressure can make things difficult, can make things seize up. I wanted to hear how the Clippers dealt with pressure. Seemingly, the entire time that Noah's been there, there's been pressure. So hear from him about that and also Short Kingsbury. Had to get that in as well. It's no Eagle on Round Ball Roundup. You're exposing me to my radio audience. My voice doesn't make me sound like a short king. So now everybody has to know. But it's okay. I, I gladly represent. I gladly represent this pristine group of people that I have been fortunate to be a part of. I feel like we talked about this on the last time, about how we're both a little vertically challenged. That's yes. why uh, the relation to watching Spider-Man, he's, he is the short king of all the superheroes. He is. He is. Especially now with Tom Holland. It feels like he is kind of spearheading the Short King Spring movement. I feel like he's who started it inadvertently. It's not like yeah. he's going out there and he's like, I just want to be out there for all the Short Kings now. He's not saying that. All right. He's just being he's just being a legend while also five seven. And so we're all like, Let's get behind this guy. He seems like a good leader, and he's kind of taking it by storm. Then he's doing movies with a fellow short king and Mark Wahlberg, so I think we can all agree. Uh, he, he's kind of the face of the movement, and I'm happy to follow where he goes. And, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. The other Spider-Mans in that No Way Home, they're all short kings as well. Tobey Maguire, I just looked up, 5'8". I think Andrew Garfield might be, what would be the hiding out? 5'10". I was gonna say, what's the cutoff? What what are we what are we saying the cutoff is here? For normal run of the mill and for actors, it's it's in the single digits, five single digits. Give me a five, five nine. nine and below. Yeah. So I was thinking about it because I think there are a lot of actors that fit that criteria. I feel like the best actors, generally the shorter ones. Yeah. Tom Cruise's, the Al Pacino's, of course, Danny DeVito couldn't leave him out. Joe Pesci. Go down a long list. Dave Franco, Zach Efron. I mean, we could keep going. All right. Keep going. Entertainer wise, it's just, it's endless. Kevin Hart. Let's not forget Bruno Mars, who might be one of the most talented men on the face of the earth. So we could go on. This could be the whole show, right? Just naming the short kings of all short kings. But I know we've got bigger business to get to. That's how we're going to end. We're going to end with our all NBA short king team. So don't worry about that. I do have a broadcasting question on the front end because you're doing it right now. And I have experienced it being in the circles of being around broadcasters. Why do all play-by-play men on their off days wear these baseball hats? Every single one. It's shoot around. They're also notorious for having a baseball cap. Yeah, I think that 
broadcasters in general are so concerned with hair when they're on the air. So when you're off the air, you want to take the opportunity to not care about your hair. And for me, that means wearing hats. And I've got more hats than I know what to do with. And so I'll, I'll pull one out no matter what. Today, I've got this dark, if you probably can't even see it, it says clippers on it in script font. It's like a little throwback clippers action. So I, I figured, you know, that fits. I'm going to be talking about the clippers. I represent the team. So let me bring it out. Let me make sure my hair is underneath. It's unkept for nobody to see. I don't care if anyone sees my bed head because you won't. There's zero chance of it. All right. So I, I, that's part of it. I think that's the biggest thing. And then it's like another accessory to add to the life. Add a little, add a little color, although this one's black, but add a little color to the life. So I think, uh, I think it's a combination of factors. Bowler does it when uh, I'm on the road. The other NBA broadcaster does it. it it's in the fraternity almost wearing the, the dad cap baseball hat. It's a... Uh... It's almost like a competition now. You want to see who's <laughs> going to bring out the best one. I've got some ones that have definitely gotten some questions. I've gotten some comments, both positive and negative. I've been really trying to step up my cap game. It's it's a legit thing. Although I feel like at the end of every NBA season, we, the whole NBA broadcasting fraternity, as you would say, we should all take our hats or caps, throw them, as if it's like a graduation of the NBA season at the very end. If only we had tassels to go with it, we could move them across yeah. and then throw them at the end. We should all get together. I might start planning this. I might start. I want, maybe I'll be the Tom Holland of the NBA broadcasting. I'll lead the charge. Good. No, and you have a, a perfect ally in a couple of broadcasters on other teams as well. This is I'm true. sure. This is true. You'll be fine. The salary cap situation for the Jazz. No. Let me tell you about First Colony Mortgage. They've been serving the lending needs of Utah for more than 35 years. As a mortgage banker, First Colony Mortgage offers advantages over other lenders. Not only do they process mortgages, they also underwrite, fund, and close mortgage loans all in-house. Their expert team is ready to help you with your home financing needs. Just check them out. First Colony Mortgage, the official mortgage lender of the Utah Jazz. Jazz dealing with a lot of pressure. I feel like the team you see day to day, the Clippers have dealt with this, you know, ever since they were formed that one summer league where the earthquake happens. It was not only Zion Williamson causing it at the Thomas and Mack, it was also the free agency and the trades to acquire uh, Kawhi Leonard and Paul George. They've gotten to the conference finals. What was it along the way that got them through the pressure and through the pressure cooker that is the NBA season? Yeah, I do see a lot of parallels between the Clippers situation last season and the Jazz situation this season. For the Clippers, you know, coming off the the 3-1 loss to Denver, similar to what Utah had, but it was one round later. It was coming into a season where the expectation was a championship, coming into the season where people said if they don't win it or at least get to a finals it's considered a failure and they succumb to that pressure. They have to regroup. And then last year was looked at as a redemption type season. And to get to the conference final, certainly once Kawhi went down, 
that was seen as, okay, this is progress now. They did deal with a lot of that pressure. They did deal with a, a lot of those expectations and they almost tossed them to the side. Now, uh, to quote the late great Kobe Bryant, job not finished, right? You got to get all the way there. You've got to win it. And that's still the goal. Ultimately, Steve Ballmer is not going to accept anything other than a title. And I think Utah's in a similar situation right now. 3-1 loss to Denver in the first round in the bubble. And then the way in which the series went last year, where I think the Jazz felt in control, 2-2 even, but certainly up 2-0. Once Kawhi goes down, you say, all right, Utah has the upper hand now moving forward. And to answer your question, the way I think the Clippers dealt with it was once Kawhi went down, they were playing essentially with house money to a certain degree. And two, Teron Liu. I think that it starts with the head coach. It starts with his demeanor and his interactions, how he can almost lift guys up and give them confidence. Terrence Mann's a perfect example from last year. You know, Terrence Mann, his rookie year, barely played with that team. He couldn't get minutes on the floor. And then year two, he gradually started earning more and more of the trust of the coaching staff. But the reason he did was because T. Lou was putting him out there in positions saying, just go be you. He wasn't putting pressure on him. He wasn't looking to the sideline every time he turned the ball over and seeing Teron upset at him. T. Lou would collapse, say, you're good. You're good, young fella. Keep playing your game. And eventually he worked out through those mistakes and he worked himself through those pressure moments because the coach was never getting too high or too low. And I think that's a microcosm for the rest of the team. His demeanor on the sideline, his demeanor in the locker room, every time this team's been down 20 plus, which has been a decent amount where they've come back the last couple of years, they've got, including the playoffs, I think six 20 point comebacks, four of them coming this year. The biggest reason to me why that happens is because they go into the locker room at halftime. They might be down 20 or in the case of the Wizards game this year, they were down 30 at halftime. And Teron Lou walks into the locker room and he just says, got them right where we want them, right? And that's it. Like, he's not going in there saying, we need to do this, this, and this. He knows the guys know what they need to do. So he's taking a lot of the pressure off of them. He's accepting a lot of the responsibility. So I think it starts with him. The players can feel that. And then the experience comes into play. And we've seen last year through the regular season, they struggled in, in clutch moments. This year, they've been one of the best teams in the league. So I think gaining that winning time experience has helped. With that, everybody got on the game during that playoff series against the Jazz when they saw the adjustments that Ty Lee was doing as a coach. What were the early indicators that year that showed this guy's different? Because if if you're looking at the NBA Twitter media sphere now, I feel like he's the coach of the year for a team that may not garner you know a coach of the year vote, but he is the coach of the year with what he's done with that group, getting them to this point where they're – three games under 500 on a team that doesn't have Paul George or Kawhi Leonard playing majority of it. Yeah. Or Norman Powell's only played yeah, the three Norman. games since the trade deadline. And so it's been, it's been ridiculous to watch. I mean, it's been insane considering the factors that have gone into the season that they are in eighth place in the Western conference and still putting themselves in position to potentially be in the playoffs this year. And he deserves all the credit in the world. And I think we've all been glad that he's gotten his credit because through his coaching career, it was always, well, let's see what he can do without LeBron James. And then last year when maybe he was losing some games where people thought he should have been winning. Oh, we'll see. See, he doesn't have LeBron now. Then they go down 0-2. See what happens? Down 0-2 a second time. So I think it's, it's nice to see him finally get his credit. 
the first realization that he was different, you could kind of see the building blocks through the early portion of the season, but there's a seminal moment his first year as the Clippers head coach that Nico Batum talks about a lot and Terrence Mann and Luke Kennard talk about it a lot. And even PG and Kawhi mention it. There was a game against the Atlanta Hawks last year in which the Clippers were down and Atlanta had won eight games in a row, I believe, going in. It was right when they turned. Nate McMillan had just taken over. They won the first eight games where he was their head coach. And they were just on a tear. And obviously, that's a team that ends up going to the conference finals a year ago. So you know how it ends. You know that they were a legitimately good team. And Clippers were down 22 in that game. They had everybody there. Kawhi and PG were playing. And early in the third quarter, they were down 22 points with like eight minutes left. He pulls the whole starting unit. It's eight minutes to go in the third quarter. Like, that's unheard of. You don't see that in the NBA. He, he says, Kawhi, you sit. Paul George, you sit. Avita Zubats, whoever else, sit. He put in Luke Kennard, Terrence Mann, who at the time were not playing for the team. They were not in the rotation. He put in, I want to say, Patrick Patterson, who was in and out of the rotation. He just put in a lineup that basically hadn't played all day. They hadn't played at all, all day. And Luke Kennard went off. So they were still down 20-plus with four minutes left in the third. Kennard did not miss in the third quarter. He ends up hitting a half-court shot at the end of the quarter to bring it to an eight-point game going into the fourth. That unit stays on for the first half of the fourth quarter. They get it all the way back, maybe even take a lead. And then he puts Kawhi and PG back in, and they basically end up winning that game, I think, by 10 or so. That was the moment that Nick Batum literally says, that moment saved our season. That moment changed the way we look at things changed the way that he coaches because now you'll see it all the time. He does it a lot. If he doesn't like how a group's playing, he'll pull the whole five and he'll just say fresh start, fresh slate. And not many coaches are willing to do that. And we've asked him about it before. He said, I'll try anything. I don't care if it, if it completely fails, I'll take the responsibility, but you don't, you're never going to know unless you try. And it goes back to, you know, Om Young, Young Masek of ESPN did a great article about him and talked about how his his uh, love for playing cards and stuff like that has almost trickled into his coaching methods. And you can totally see it with, with situations like that. So that was the moment that I think we all took a step back and said, okay, no, he's, he's willing to do things. He's willing to make the adjustments that maybe other people wouldn't. And that certainly sets him apart. And effort is so high with that Clippers team, at least a, a couple of weeks when they – came in to play the jazz on a road trip getting a team to play with that high of an energy level that's huge and it's it's big part of coaching in today's nba yeah i was talking a while back with our president lawrence frank who obviously was a coach in the nba for a long time himself and he said you'll win a lot of games in the nba if you just play hard every night you know, you could be at a talent discrepancy, but we've seen it recently, right, from teams. Like, I, I think of the both the Clippers and the Nets from 2018-19 season. The Nets had D'Angelo Russell, a young Karis LeVert, and Jared Allen, and Spencer Dinwiddie, who were all starting to come into their own, but they just played really hard every night. And they end up being above 500. They end up being a sixth seed in the East. The Clippers end up winning 48 games that year without an all-star on the team. Lou Williams and Montrezl Harrell were super subs. They had Tobias Harris. They traded him. Like, Tobias Harris was averaging 19 a game or so. He had a game winner, and the next day was traded to Philly. And so without an all-star, that team, they played as hard as they possibly could every single night. 
they took the notice of the NBA and certain players, aka Kawhi Leonard and Paul George, who said, I like the way that's going, said, I want to be a part of that. And so the biggest key was how can you now bring in the super talent like the Nets and like the Clippers and still keep that same mentality, that same essence of playing hard all the time. And that's why I think T. Lou has really revamped the team a lot is, you know, every single night for 48 minutes, you're going to get supreme effort. And so if you don't win, he says he's cool with that. As long as the process is there and the effort is there, that's all you can really ask for from these guys. And when that's been the case, they've been a hard, a hard team to beat just because you know you're going to get their best shot no matter what. When the Clippers tweet out Paul George at practice, how quick is the retweet? Is it instantaneous? <laughs> from me? Yeah, from you. No, no. I, I, I want to make sure that I let Paul heal properly before I retweet. I'm not a, okay. I'm not a jump the gun retweeter, all right? I'm a calculated retweeter. I'm, I'm going to make sure, take a step back, assess the situation, then I hit that RT, man, or maybe a QT. I might be a quote tweet. Whoa! It might, it might require a quote tweet. Let's be honest here. But I'm going to wait until the timing is right on PG-13 because so far, so good. He's looked pretty good. The internet, the Twitter world has certainly responded positively. So we'll see. We'll see what it all, uh, how it all plays out. But hopefully it'll be a fun week ahead for Clipper Nation. Are we a little too quick to already grant Minnesota as a potential first-round matchup in the West to face the second seed? It's going to, in all likelihood, be Minnesota and the Clippers for that play-in spot, yeah. right? For the 7-8 matchup, it'll be in Minneapolis. The Clippers are essentially locked into the 8 now. It would take a catastrophe for them to drop down to 9, and it would take probably a miracle for them to move up to 7. I think they're too far back on Minnesota now. so. They've pretty much locked themselves into the eight. And that's with that in mind, you know, Teron was asked about that a week and a half, two weeks ago, and basically said, yeah, we're changing the way we're, we're going about our business for the next couple of weeks, just because we know we're pretty much locked into seating. So we're going to make sure that our guys are rested. If you've noticed Marcus Morris and Nick Batum and Reggie Jackson, have seen their minutes decline a little bit. Some of them have rested a couple of games as well, just to, Make sure that everybody's healthy, everybody's ready, and then there's going to be a ramp-up period at this next week or so, or however long the NBA season is, next couple weeks here, <laughs> where these guys get the extra minutes to make sure that they're ready to go. But they're managing it the right way because they know that the movement, the mobility isn't really there. So it really will come down to can they beat Minnesota again? They won the season series this year 3-1. They played pretty well, all things considered, against that Timberwolves team. And the matchups will be interesting because Avica Zubats has had some of his best games against some of the best centers in the NBA this year. He had a 32-point ma massive double-double against Nikola Jokic. And then he goes the next day or two days later and doesn't have 32, but he had like 15 and 12 against Joel Embiid. So he's more than capable of battling with a star big man. Um, you know, Reggie Jackson has shown that he's been huge in clutch moments this year. Marcus Morris has been huge. We'll see if Nick Batum is ready to go. He, he's been massive at times. Luke Kennard's shooting ability has been game changer at moments this year. He's had those types of games. So it'll come down to whether or not they can get past that Minnesota team that's playing just really, really good basketball right now. And obviously the side story with Patrick Beverly is going to be a lot of fun. It's going to have, I'm sure, its moments, but 
Pat Bev is still very close with pretty much everybody on the Clippers team, including Teron Liu. He talks to Avic Zubats every day. So it'll be fun. That's all I'll say. It's going to be a lot of fun. And then, you know, we'll see. We'll see if the Clippers can get it done in that one. If not, they get a second chance. That's the, the one good thing about being in the 7-8 spot. You get two chances to win one. Best Pat Bev story. <laughs> I mean, I, I have some that aren't rated G or PG, so I probably can't go with those. But, I mean, Pat Bev was just a bundle of energy all the time. I, I loved watching him in practice more than anything else because everyone sees what he does on the defensive end, and everybody almost thinks of him as an, a defense-only guy. People don't give him credit for what he can do on the offensive end. He's a much better shooter than I think people give him credit for for his entire career. But certainly over the last five to six years, he's really improved as a three-point option. And this is a guy that averaged 40-plus points per game. I, I want to say it was 40-plus as a senior in high school. He led Chicago, led Illinois, I believe, the, the state of Illinois, in scoring as a senior in high school. And so it's another reminder of just how ridiculously good these all these guys are because this is someone who's averaging 40 plus for like a high end school in Chicago, a high powered school against other high powered schools. Still, he's looked at in the NBA is like, you can't score. I mean, it's just ridiculous, but I loved watching him in practice because he would do these shooting competitions after every single practice or shoot around with the other guys. And he's ultra competitive. And so I'd be sitting there. And at the time, Chauncey Billups was our TV analyst. I'd be sitting with Chauncey. And after every shot, Pat Bev would look at him. He goes, you're next, big shot. You're next. And, and Chauncey was just like, no, no, I'm not. He's just like, I'll beat you behind, man. You come out here. I got you every time. It's like, you can't guard me. He's like, you're right. I've been retired for eight to nine years now. And I tore my Achilles at the end of my career. He's like, exactly. You don't want this smoke. He's like, you're right. Maybe I don't. Like, I don't know what you're trying to get at. But it was every practice. Literally, it happened. And then I would do interviews with Pat after games on the radio and I'd be like, well, Pat, we appreciate you. Uh, appreciate you hopping on with us. He goes, Hey, is Chauncey Billups with you? I'm like, he's in front of me right now. He goes, can you tell him that I'll beat his behind? I'm like, you got it. Yeah. Yeah. I got that for you. And then like, there would be times he wasn't even there. He's, I'd do an interview with him. He's like, Hey, where's Chauncey? I'm like, he's not here. He goes, all right, call him and tell him I'll beat his behind. I'm like, all right, you got it, man. He's one of a kind. I love the man. One of the great characters in the NBA. If you're looking at as a scripted television show, he is he's one of a fan favorite, one that, that the people who are watching definitely love. I think that leads me, if anything, to our all-short Kings team, which Pat Bev would qualify for. I texted you before. I said nobody above 6'2". 6'2 is the cutoff for players on your all-short Kings team. I bring this up only because short King spring and Jose Alvarado was awesome over the last couple of weeks. You see exactly what he embodies as the short King that he is having the dark arts, the trickeration, getting a steal on an inbounds pass, causing a, a travel. He is everything that is meant for this team. And he got rewarded with a contract from the Pelicans. So Jose Alvarado, my first Submission for the all-short king team. Mm. Your thoughts on that selection. So, I just first, I have a question for you. Yeah. How fulfilling does it feel to call people six foot one or six two short? Oh, so awesome. Also relative, you have to look at the fact that they're also around giants. This is the dumbest 100%. guy take ever from 
covering the league. But every time I see Rudy Gobert, I think, oh, he's pretty big. He's, <laughs> he's a pretty big guy. And then you see him on TV, and these people who are six foot, they look like ants compared to yep. them. Yep. It, it could have been the most rewarding part of my young career so far was when the Houston Rockets went with their small ball, and I got to call, like, Robert Covington small for no reason. <laughs> yeah. Like, he's 6'7", yeah. right? I, I, he's with us now, and I get to see him all the time. I'm like, oh, no, he's he's far from small. But when he's playing center against the Gobert, you're like, oh, he's kind of small. And then, yeah, it's my favorite part about the NBA that I get to, as a man who's 5'8 on a good day, I get to call, like, someone like that short for 30 minutes or whatever it is. Anyway, I digress. Jose Alvarado has been a revelation, all right? An absolute revelation to the short king movement because – to your point, he does everything. I, I'm going to, my other submission, I mean, I've got obviously my five that I was going to choose, but one that I felt like had to be included in the modern day NBA that I feel like Alvarado is almost a mirror image of in his play style and maybe has improved upon it. One of, one of my favorite names in the league, Facundo Campasso. All right. He, You've got he's Campasso, on my bench. He's Campasso, on my bench. Alvarado together. Yeah. And, like, imagine having to deal with that for a full 48 minutes, just pressing all the time, getting in passing lanes for no reason whatsoever, diving for a ball that's not even loose. I mean, that's the short king movement, all right? Yeah. That's what you do. And so those two guys, because I've got other guys who I think are, you know, really good players that are six foot or maybe six one, that I'm like, yeah, they have to be on it. But those two, they do the short guy stuff on the court. That's the difference, right? Muggsy Bogues was doing the short guy stuff on the court, whereas Spud Webb's dunking. You're like, well, which one's really the short guy? You know what I mean? J.J. Barea gets an honorary placement on this team as a champion, champion no, he, short king. He's Well, here's the thing. J.J. Barea's got his jersey retired amongst the short king team. He's like an all-time short king. Well, and that's why Alvarado is the spiritual successor to that as a fellow Puerto Rican national. Mm. He can carry that baton as well. And again, another credit to the point that you brought up earlier, Patrick Beverly averaging the most points in Illinois high school basketball. Alvarado at Christ the King in Brooklyn. This guy had a quadruple double, was the yeah. first person in, in high school basketball there to do that. He, he is everything that it's embodied with him. Yeah, no, to, the, to that point, though, I think it does deserve repeating. The worst player in the NBA, whoever it might be, is still by far the best player in any other league anywhere. Like the skill level, the level of play that is seen every day almost goes for granted now. We're all watching the March Madness tournament. We're all watching the NCAA tournament. Think about how few of those guys, the percentage of players that played in the NCAA tournament this year will ever play a single game in the NBA. It is minuscule. And so to get someone like, it's why it's so rare to have these guys who are 6'2 or below, or really below 6'2, let's say, that are making a high impact. So I feel like we need to continue. Here's my question for you. Does Isaiah Thomas count right now? He's in the league right now, but are we basing it off of his career statistics, his career legendary performances? What are we basing it off of, or is it modern day only? You can do a legacy stuff with him as well. I think it, he deserves it, to have a spot, personally. He does. He does. And and he's on the shorter, shorter end of the short kings. 5'9". You've got him and Nate Robinson, who was listed at 5'9", but many believe was 5'6". Obviously, Muggsy Bogues, Spud Webb, 
You've got Earl Boykins, who's maybe my personal favorite. So you've got a long list. But if we're going only today, there are three guys that have to be on it in terms of just best players available. Chris Paul, Fred Van Vliet, yep. Jalen Brunson have mm-hmm. to be on. Yeah. Have to be on. Those are two all-stars and someone who is slowly making his way towards making a case for himself one day to be an all-star. He's He's been that good, Jalen Brunson, this year. CP is the Bill Russell of short kinks. He's- but, so, but again, I go back to like what I said before. Those guys are just, just really good, straight up yeah. good. Whereas an Alvarado or a Compasso, they do the short king stuff that keeps them in the league. It's the hustle plays. It's the little things that don't show up on the box score. You know, it's all those guys that had to tell coaches, no, 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 don't watch me for like five minutes. Watch me for a full 48. Then you'll understand my impact on the game. That's what I'm looking for. Being short is a constant fight for credibility in the league, as you know. In life. What are you talking about? They do that. Uh, Yeah. Well, you know, that too, of course. I say Bill Russell, and only that he's the player coach as well. He yeah. he's going to be coaching this team. He's he's putting them through wind sprints. He's getting them organized in the huddle. He is completely taking course of this team to make sure that everybody's in the right position to succeed. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right there. Here's the question for you: Which one of those shorter entertainers that we talked about before would have had his best, his or her best chance to? make a dent on an NBA or just short King. Like, is it Justin Bieber? We didn't bring him up, but Prince. Prince oh, is going. good point. He had game, first of all, growing up. He was a great high school basketball player and game blouses. Yeah, game Prince. blouses is, which I still, that's my favorite moment, I think, from Donovan Mitchell's career still to this day is when he hung <laughs> on the rim and then he tweeted out game blouses. So uh, I forever had infinite respect for him the second that happened. Donovan Mitchell is my other submission to this short time. Ah, mm, I feel like you're he, bending it a little he's bit. He's six one, on a good day. On a good day. Yeah, he just does not play like a short king. No, at all not at all. Because he's <laughs> so ridiculously athletic and insane at everything he can do. Like at least Chris Paul, you might say, well, he's not playing like an Alvarado or a Compasso, but he's not playing above the rim either. I feel like I feel like anyone who plays above the rim, that's a hard it's a hard argument to make. He doesn't dunk anymore. Dunks uh, at, at career lows. But if you've won a dunk contest, that's why I'm a little hesitant on, on Spud Webb yeah. and Nate Robinson. Yeah. Like if you've won a dunk contest, that means that you're just an insane person. Like it's a different level. The other Mitchell that I had was Davion out in Sacramento. I like he, Davion Mitchell. He has a lot of good Good defensive, defensive identity for this team. He does the little things that way. He's a gnat. Great nickname. There's no better nickname in the league than off day uh, yeah. when it comes to rookies right now. So here's a question for you. Does okay. Kyle Lowry qualify? He does little guy things too. He's he's Chris Paul light. He, he took a charge in the all-star game. Yeah. Have to give him credit for that. Yeah. I feel like he could be a, a banner guy. Because we talk about championship experience. Van Fleet and Lowry did it together. And I feel like that could be a, a formidable backcourt. We've got a lot of options. All I'm saying is you you brought it up already. Short King Spring is pretty much upon us. Short King Summer to follow. I feel like we're in good hands. We're like Allstate right now. We're feeling good about how our coverage is, is rolling. 
Thank you, Allstate. I hope I get a good plug on this new condo that I'm I'm doing. I could try to do the voice, but I don't know. Allstate. Is there a name we didn't bring up that's on your team? Uh, no, I think that was everybody that I had I had, had prior. You know, we've got a guy who we just, the, the Clippers just signed on a two-way deal, Xavier Moon, who's listed at 6'2", you know, but he does a lot of that stuff too. He does a lot of the, the pesky stuff. Javon Carter was another guy. Uh, Chris Chioza. Those are some guys that came to mind. I was going to say, when are the Nets coming in? I knew you would bring up Chioza at one point. Well, Chioza's this. on the Warriors now, right? I know, I know but, but spiritually. Yeah, Chioza's still a, still a net deep down, I would say. Uh, I'm trying to think if there's been some others. We had Derek Walton my first year with the Clippers. He, he had some big moments. Uh, Yogi Ferrell. Yogi Ferrell, was, we had him last year. He had some big moments. So I... I I just love it. And I think that you see it a lot in the NCAA tournament. I'll be curious to see now who can take the next step. Who's going to be the new short king face of the league moving forward? I was excited for UCLA because of Tiger Campbell. Tiger Campbell. Oh, yeah. Uh, what? Oh, yeah. And I, I don't know how they measure that because the hair also. The hair. It's like Fletch. Some. Yeah, it's like Fletch. Fletch was listed at 6'3", 6'6", with the Afro. That's that's how you want to measure it. I measure with hair. That's why I do my hair so high. It's the extra mm. inches. I mean, I'm giving away my secrets right now, but I don't care. It's cool. Right now it's under the hat. It's unkept. But when it's kept, when it's together, I go from like five, seven and a half to a legit five, eight. That's the difference. It's a, it's a difference. All right. It's better to see the eight on the driver's license than the seven. Big difference. Sure. Yeah, big difference. He is the short king himself. Radio voice of the L.A. Clippers, Noah Eagle, on utahjazz.com. Noah, appreciate it. Appreciate it as always, man.